Well, before we get into God's word, let's pray for God's anointing upon this time. Father, thank you for again allowing us to have the privilege, the awesome responsibility of sharing your word. And I pray that everything we do and say is exactly what you once said and done. Allow me to say it correctly. Allow us to hear it correctly. Allow us to be students of your word. We want you to be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going through Jonah, shorter book than Revelation, but uh, we're on lesson number three. And last week we discussed all the things that a believer, a child of God, would lose if you disobey what God's word said. How many found out that when you do something you know you shouldn't do, you suffer for it? Uh, there's a quote I have in here. I think Charles Spurgeon says, God does not allow his children to sin successfully. <laughs> Whatever you do and God catches you, there's a price to pay for it. So God says, just don't do it. <laughs> and all parents said amen, right? Amen. If kids, just don't do that. <laughs> well, Jonah, in his disobedience, lost his ability to hear God's voice. Because if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, you don't want to hear what God has to say to you. You lost your, he lost his spiritual energy. Well, if you don't read God's word, you don't want to hear from God, that's what's going to happen. Jonah lost his power in his prayer life. Why pray when you know what God's going to tell you when you pray? And Jonah lost his testimony. So if you act like the world and everyone around you, you don't have a testimony. You're like everybody else. Well, before Jonah actually gets right with God, we will, concede, we will see his continued descent. You know, once you start leaving God's plan or will, it continues to get harder. How many find that to be true? And as we said at the beginning, Charles Spurgeon did say that. He says, God never allows his children to sin successfully. Why did he say that? Why is that true? Because Hebrews 12.5 says, Son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. How many of you parents really enjoy spanking your kids? There are times, right? <laughs> but for the most part, you don't. What's the old saying? This is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you. And the kids say, you lie. <laughs> You don't want to do it, but you know that if you don't do it, it's going to be worse for them. And if you don't love them, you'll let them do whatever they want to do with no, no repercussions for it. Have you ever been in a store and you see kids running around crazy? What's the first thing that someone else will say? Where's their mother? Not where's their dad. Where's their mother? Why? Because you expect the parents to discipline. Well, as Christians, we expect God to discipline, and we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. Now, last week we said that Jonah told the crew that he was running. He, was, he already told them he's running away from God. Jonah 1, 1.10 says they, that terrified the crew because the storm was there, and they asked, what have you done? And in parentheses it says they knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them. You know, if I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. I'm not sure I'm bragging that to everybody. <laughs> I might want to keep that to myself. 
But in either case, guess what? The Bible says your sin will find you out. So whether you share it or not, someone's going to find out. So now we get to verse 11, and it says, The sea was getting rougher and rougher. Well, when you start turning away from God, things don't get better over time. <laughs> things continue to get worse. They may be good for a season, but if God's in the mix of it and God's going to try to get your attention, it's going to get worse. There was an old Cheech and Chong. How many know who Cheech and Chong? There was an old thing that they did about punishment, and the first spank, the kid would laugh. And the second spank, the kid would laugh even harder. And the parent would think, okay, that, you think that's funny? And you hear the kid just getting wailed on by mom and dad. And he keeps, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm... Whoop, whoop, whoop. Well, if you don't listen to God the first or second time, and you think it's, ah, oh, that's no big deal, it's going to get harder. And God is going to continue to up the ante to get your attention, which is what he was doing with Jonah. Verse 11 says, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it became calm. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault, and this great storm has come upon you. Now, how many think that was really heroic of Jonah? Nah. This isn't going to make him a martyr. A martyr willingly lives his life in order to do what God tells him to do. He was going to do it to not do what God told him to do. In other words, I'd rather be dead than doing what God wants me to do. Back in Exodus, Moses says, when Moses went back to the Lord and he said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. He's willing to die to get them back. Wanting to do God's will. Even in Esther, then Esther replied, sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. If I must die, I am willing to die. These are people that were willing to give up their life to do what God wanted them to do. Romans 9, 3, Paul says, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. But just offering yourself to die in and of itself isn't being a martyr. First Kings 19, Elijah, after he did that great miracle on Mount Carmel, it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the desert, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. As, uh, Elijah, Jonah, these aren't sacrifices for God. These aren't things that God honors. These are people who were trying to get out of what, doing what God wanted them to do, wanting to get a quick way out of a hardship. And that's exactly what suicide is. Jonah wanted to die rather than doing what God wanted him to do. And for Jonah, it seemed like the easy way out. What God wants for me is too hard. I would rather die than go through what God wants me to do. And isn't that the, end, the lie the enemy says today? It's too hard. I would rather die than go through it. And the enemy tells that to the same people 
today. Suicide is not an easy way out. It's not never God's will for that. You know, we talk about the Bible being the, the book of hope, right? There's a saying that says you can go four minutes without air, four days without food, four weeks without, or four days without water, four, days, four weeks without food before you die. Well, you can't go four seconds without hope. And the Bible offers hope. So no matter how difficult your situation might be, the Bible says there's always hope. There's always something that God can do tomorrow. I mean, we sang that song, our God is bigger and better and stronger and greater. Now, do we believe that? That God can actually change the situation tomorrow that we think is unchangeable today. So what Jonah wanted to do was not, not magnanimous on his part. Now, some commentators I read said that that was a noble thing. But I don't think he had that attitude at the time. Because later on, he's mad. After he goes and does what God tells him to do, and they repented, he's mad that they repented. Because the Bible says that the town he preached in repented in Jonah 3.10. It says, when God, when God saw that they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So we talked last week about how wicked these folks were, how, I mean, wicked people. And God was going to judge them, and Jonah was like, yeah. Jonah was like, yeah, judge them. Do it. Do it. I'm not going to preach to them. I want them to be judged. God says, no, give them another chance. He goes down and preaches to them, and they get saved. I wrote a sentence. Who are you praying for that might be this wicked? <laughs> Far from God. Unsavable. God can save them. One of our speakers at the conference was an ex-homosexual. I, I read the bio. At first, it was just a snippet. I went, uh-oh, where's this going? But he was a guy, he was, well, he's probably in his 40s now, but he was heavily into the lifestyle, spent years in jail. His mom and dad prayed for him faithfully for years, faithfully. And he got saved in jail. And now he's on fire. And his, his whole topic was identity. He said, I don't identify as an ex-gay man. I don't identify as whatever. I identify as a child of God. And God took all those desires away from him. And God, he's saying that God can do that for you. And it doesn't have to be the homosexual lifestyle. It can be the heterosexual lifestyle. What are you struggling with? God can take all of that away. He said, if God can save me, who was, man, I hated God. There wanted nothing to do with God. In that lifestyle, nothing. But God turned him around. God got his attention. And if God can save him and God can save the Ninevites, God can save whoever you think can't be saved. But because they got saved, Jonah was mad. And Jonah 4, it says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. He was so upset that these people got saved, that they weren't facing judgment. He just went, okay, God, just kill me. 
I hated that you saved them, is basically what he's saying. Now, before we get too harsh, how many people were really upset when you heard that Ted Bundy got saved? I mean, minutes or maybe days before his execution, he came to know the Lord, according to James Dobson. So Ted Bundy, who was a wicked murderer, serial killer, got saved. And now Ted Bundy's in heaven. You mad about that? You kind of upset about that? Don't be like Jonah. Now we assume that Jonah bowed his knee and repented to God and that God would have stopped the storm, but he didn't. At least if Jonah wanted to repent, he would have done it even if the storm didn't stop. There's no sign of repentance on Jonah's part. He just wanted to die. Throw me in the water. I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. I don't want them people to get saved because they're wicked, so just kill me. That way if I don't go, they won't get saved and judgment's coming. He would rather suffer God's chastisement than to just give in and do it. How many have a, a child, or maybe you've had a child, that you, 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 no matter what you do, you punish them, you give them timeouts, whatever, and they just, no, no. You can, you can whoop me, but I'm still gonna do it. And everybody's, every parent's looking around going, I got one of those. Or you do things, I don't care. I'm taking that from you, I don't care. I'm grounding you, I don't care. You're, you're no electronics for a week, I don't care. No TV for a month, I don't care. That's what Jonah was like, I don't care. Punish me, throw me in the water, kill me, I don't care. I am not doing what you want me to do. If you're experiencing God's attention-getting plan, how far are you willing to go in order to not do what God tells you to do? Why was God's plan for Jonah so bad that Jonah would rather die than do it? We can ask ourselves the same question. Is God's plan for you so bad that you choose not to follow it and you'd rather do, endure the chastisement that God is going to put on you than do what God wants you to do. I remember talking to a buddy of mine. He was, we were going and we were Bible college together, going through school, and he actually was preaching before me, and a couple years after he got his first church, he started having an affair. And I, I called him up, went to lunch, I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And his, his response was, God is just going to have to forgive me for this one. And basically, his answer was, I don't care. I don't care that I'm doing this. And obviously, you know, he lost a church, lost his ministry. But he didn't care. And it's easy to get to the point where you're sinning. And, you know, I don't care what the consequences are. I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of that. And there's going to come one of two points. God's going to bring you down so far that you have no place to look but up. Or you're going to get so entrenched in sin that you're not going to care to the point where you're not going to follow God anymore. You're going to walk away. Now notice it was significant that the heathen sailors didn't even want to throw him in the water. They didn't want to kill him. 
they felt guilt about killing him. Verse 13 says, and said the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They were more concerned about Jonah than Jonah was concerned about himself. He was willing to let them lose all their possessions. They're throwing this stuff overboard. He doesn't care. They're losing everything, their money, their boat, everything. They don't care. He doesn't care. Had Jonah finally bowed and repented and the storm stopped, imagine what a testimony that would be for the sailors on the boat. When you bow and you repent and God changes your circumstances, what a a testimony that is to the people around you. These speakers that we had at the men's conference all had different stories of how God transformed their life. And that was basically their whole platform of what God did for me after I got saved. If Jonah would have done that, if he just said, look, it's my fault, let me repent, God, I'm sorry, please stop the storm, and God did it, you think all those sailors, man, they would have said, your God is right, (laughs) we're going to serve your God. But he didn't. He could have used his life and his hardship as a testimony. But he didn't, and the crew kept rowing and tossing this stuff after overboard. Jonah didn't care. But they asked for forgiveness of Jonah's God if they were going to throw him in the water. Verse 14, then they cried to the Lord. These are the sailors that don't believe. It says, oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Notice, these guys who weren't Christians or weren't believers had honesty, sympathy, and, and sacrifice when Jonah, the Christian, didn't. How many unsafe people you know act and behave better than Christians you know? There are some people that you just, don't, don't tell anybody you're a Christian, please. The way you live and the way you act, please don't, don't say that you're a believer. Do other people have more sympathy and compassion than we do? Probably. However, like most people, they knew a little theology. They knew about God, a God, because they prayed. The Bible says they prayed to Jonah's God. They knew about divine punishment, because it says, don't let us die. And they knew about guilt for throwing him overboard, killing him. Now, they probably didn't abandon their own little gods, but they just added Jehovah to the mix. But even unbelievers acknowledge these things. The God we trust. How many have been asked to pray by someone who is not a Christian? Hey, I'm going through a hard time. I know you go to church. Can you, can you pray for me? So even unbelievers have that little bit of knowledge. People also know about divine punishment. Someone ever tell you that I think that person deserves punishment from God. That person deserves hell. So people know intrinsically that there is a God, there is punishment, and people know that there's guilt. Most people acknowledge that we don't live perfect lives. If you ask anybody on the street if they sin, they will probably say, yeah, yeah, sure, I, yeah, I sin. Or if they say no, you ask them, Did you, have you ever told a lie? 
Well, yeah. I, it was funny. I heard someone say, ask these questions to someone in the street. Have you ever lied? Well, yeah, okay, I've lied. Have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? Well, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, maybe, yeah. So you're a living, thieving adulterer. And they have to basically say, well, yeah. People know when they sin. All these acknowledgments, however, do not prove that they have a transformed life. People believe all this stuff. I believe I'm a liar. I believe I'm a sinner. Yeah. I don't believe I'm going to get judged for that, but I believe that. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. How many churches do we know that they're doing that? All these things they're doing, they think they're doing them for God, but God's going to say, dude, I don't know who you are. You never had a relationship with me. The things you're teaching your people aren't right. Now, we have to go back for a funeral tomorrow. My wife's aunt passed away a couple days ago. And I'm not crazy about funerals, but not for the reason that you think. Because I think when I go to funerals, what if that person never accepted Christ? How do you preach a funeral when someone you know is not a Christian? And how do you tell the relatives when they all think they're in heaven? You try to avoid that. But you can't say, at least I don't say, yeah, they're in heaven. If I know they're not. Because the matter, I've done hundreds of funerals and nobody at any funeral has ever said, yeah, that person's not in heaven. Because everybody thinks they're going to heaven. They can be an axe murderer and they think they're going to make it to heaven. And most people think they're going to make it to heaven because, well, they were good people. And I'm not doubting that they were good, moral people but they're not making it to heaven because they're good. These sailors then saw the power of God. And what happened when they saw the power of God? They obeyed. Verse 15 says, And they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, we don't know exactly what the sacrifice was or the vows or anything like that. You know, we have no idea. Did they, did they have animals on the boat to sacrifice? Were they clean animals? It doesn't say. It might mean believe they believed Jonah's God was one of many gods, or they might have believed that Jonah was, Jonah's God was the only God. It doesn't specify. But when the storm stopped, and they did it because Jonah was thrown overboard, they began to fear God more. And what they do, they rush to make him, offer him sacrifices, make vows to him, do all these things for God. If they threw everything overboard, what was left to sacrifice? Maybe they did it when they got to land. Maybe they did it. It doesn't say. But the point is they realized it was Jonah's God and who Jonah 
Jonah, Jonah said, God, my God made the seas, right? And now they wanted to please God. And they were doing it by what they thought was the right way to do it. We're going to make, we're going to do sacrifices, we're going to make vows, and that should be enough. And isn't that what folks do today? Well, if I just, if I give this up for God and I, I promise to do something better, then I'm good with God. But we know that's not what God wants from us. He wants a relationship. He doesn't want you, not a list of things that you're going to not do or do for him. Do you want your children doing stuff to please you, but never really wanting a relationship with you? I know families that the kids do stuff for their parents out of obligation, but they don't want to really have a relationship with them. Yeah, I'll, I'll take care of you, Dad, but don't, I don't want to be your friend anymore. I just want to, I'll do this stuff because I owe it to you. But I'm not going to come and talk to you and sit with you and have a conversation. That's kind of what we do and we think, we, well, we do all these things for God, but we never have a relationship with him. We sit down and read what God says to us. We never talk to God through prayer. We never have a relationship. We think that what we do is our relationship. Notice something else in the verse. They saw that doing what Jonah said allowed God to work. People notice when God's working in your life. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It doesn't mean your good works are saving you. It just means your good works are a a response to you already being saved. When people notice your lifestyle and how you behave and how you act and your attitude and your disposition, that's what gets their attention. The Bible says when they see you doing all these things that honor God, they glorify him. It doesn't say they, they praise you. They know that you have a relationship with God. And so they see what you do and it says everyone will praise your heavenly father because they know what's made a difference in your life. Which leads to the question is do people see a difference in you? As a believer... Are you different from everybody else? Do they see a difference in your life? If you're a new believer, do they see a difference between your new life and your old life? If you walk away from what God wants for you, not only will people not see a difference, God will make sure to get your attention to bring you back. 17th century preacher Jeremy Taylor said this, God threatens terrible things if we will not be happy with God's will for our lives. That means you should be happy doing what God wants you to do. Not doing it because you have to do it or walking around complaining about it. You should be happy doing what God wants you to do. To rebel against God's will invites the chastisement that we talked about earlier. Now, how many have ever heard of the Westminster Catechism? Presbyterian, I think, in nature. But it comes, we don't, you know, if you come from a liturgical background, you don't like to repeat a prayer all the time. But this prayer is basically a doctrine. It says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and what? And enjoy him forever. We glorify God by enjoying doing what God wants us to do. Now, we had the picnic a month or so ago 
we talked about in God wanting us to enjoy the blessings. When you buy your kids a gift, you want them to enjoy it. You know, I bought you this gift. I want you to play with it, enjoy it. In fact, wear it out. Play with it until you wear it out. You want them to enjoy it. God wants us to enjoy not only his blessings, he wants us to enjoy doing what he asks us to do. What's the Bible say? My burden is, is easy. My yoke is light. When God asks you to do something, it should be something that you want to do and are happy and excited to do. Ephesians 6, 5 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, what? Doing the will of God from your heart. God doesn't want to, you want a cheerful giver, right? He doesn't want someone who begrudgingly gives. He doesn't want someone who begrudgingly does what he wants us to do. And man, I hate doing this for God, but I'm going to do it anyways, I guess, because he'll be mad if I don't. We should enjoy doing what God asked us to do. And that's where Jonah failed. His heart did not want God's will. His heart wanted what he wanted. And so what did he do? He ran away from God. So now we start to the part in the, in the story that every child probably learns as his first Bible story. Verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, What's the alternative to being swallowed by a fish? Drown, right? God provided something to keep him alive for three days while he's underwater. How many have ever prayed whatever it takes? For your family, friends, whatever it takes. Well, I don't think anyone's ever prayed, Lord, have a whale swallow my kids so they get saved. I don't think Jonah ever prayed that. I don't think anybody in the history of the world other than this time has ever prayed that. But the point is, God will go to great lengths to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Doing something miraculous. Now, you would think this would be terrible for him, be swallowed by a fish. But the alternative is he'd be dead. Of course, that's what he wanted to begin with, right? One of our speakers this weekend basically said the same thing. Things that God allows in your lives to get your attention may feel like a horrible situation. This one speaker that was in jail, he went to jail for drug, you know, drug trafficking. And his parents basically were like, yeah, send him to jail. Let him go, let him go, Take, let him go to jail. And he thought, that's the worst thing that could ever happen to me, go to jail. But it was in jail that God saved him. God will allow things in your life that you may think are horrible, but if it gets your attention, it's worth it. Because what would the alternative be if God didn't do that? Eternity away from God. So if God afflicts me with cancer to get people's attention, my, my kids' attention, I am totally cool with that. Because the alternative is they don't want up and heaven. Psalm 118, 18 says, the Lord has chastised me severely, but he has not given me over to death. God may put you in a, in a vice that you think is going to kill you. And it just gets you to the point where you just, like Jonah, you just want to die. 
But if God gets your attention to bring you back, then God has succeeded in his plan. God will put things in your life, like we mentioned last week, designed to get your attention. Remember, Jonah and God had parted company on good terms. He ran. Whose fault was the, the parting of the ways? Jonah's, right? Whenever there's a distance between you and God, as the old saying says, who moved? God didn't move. You walked away. But the neat thing is God didn't let him go. You know, it would have been easy to find somebody else to take Jonah's place. Amos and Hosea, both contemporaries of Jonah. They were alive at the same time, prophesying at the same time. God could have said, okay, forget Jonah. Amos, come on, buddy, let's go down to Nineveh. No. He didn't let them go. He chased after them. You and God may have parted company on bad terms. You may have been hopping mad at God for something. Or maybe you didn't like the direction your life was taken. And you ran away from God. And guess what? God went after him. Jonah was trying to run away from God, and God ran after him. There was an old song, I think. It was called God Ran. I don't know if you remember that song. It was back in the 80s or 90s. I forget who sang it. But it was basically that God ran after Jonah, and God runs after you. Maybe you ran away from God, and it would have been easy for God to say, okay, fine, I'll see you. But God runs after you. God is not going to let you go. God loved Jonah so much and he loves each of us too much just to write us off and move to the next person. God will endure the rejection for a time while he's in the process of getting you back. If you have a wayward teen that seems to be not listening to anything you say, God's running after them. Dobson calls it the dark side of the moon. There's a time in a teenager's life where they don't listen to you. Not all, but some. And you, no matter what you say to them, you're not, they're not listening. When the Apollo missions went up to the moon in the 60s and 70s, when they got to the, dark, the back side of the moon, they had no communication with Houston. They couldn't talk until they came around to the front of the moon again. Well, that's what Dobson says. They're, they're on the back side of the moon now. There's no communication with them. When they come around, usually when they hit 20 or 21, it's amazing how smart you now become as a parent. All these things that you now instantly know because they are now 20 or 21. You know, my mom or dad, they, they were kind of smart. The things they told me were, you know, now that I'm looking back on it, they were, they were kind of right. That's what God wants us to realize too, that we're away from God. He's going to chase you. And when he catches up to you and brings you back, you're going to finally say, you know what? God was right. God was right to, to try to get my attention. Who are you praying for that you know had a relationship with Christ but walked away? Well, my God's not going to let him go. Not without a fight, right? Who knows what God will use to get their attention? Only he knows what will get their attention. And I believe that God wants them more than we want them to be saved. So Ghana, God is going to chase them and do what he needs to do to get their attention, to bring him back. So the guys threw Jonah off the boat. 
And we're going to see next week how that story ends. I know no one knows how that story ends. Everybody thinks he died in the whale, right? Wow. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says, starts next week. Would you stand as we close? You got to come back to hear how it ends. Nobody knows. Don't read ahead so you know. I want to surprise you next week. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Hallelujah. Maybe you're here this morning and you're that person that's run away from God. Maybe you're watching this thing online. Maybe you're watching it today. Maybe you're watching it a year from now. And you're, you're that person that's kind of said, no, I don't want to follow God anymore. Let me go my own way. Well, if someone's praying for you, that means God's going to keep chasing you. <laughs> and God's going to keep bugging you until you finally repent. Or maybe that's today for you. Maybe you realize that you've been being chased by God for a long time and you've just kind of ignored it. And your life seems to have gotten worse and worse. And things aren't going the way you thought they would go. Well, God's allowing that to happen because he loves you. Not because he hates you. He wants you to come back. He wants that relationship. If that's you and you've, you, you really want to come back, you really want to say, okay, Lord, you're right. I'm sorry. Forgive me for doing whatever it was I did or didn't do. I want to come back home like the prodigal son. Lord, I want to come back. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand because today the days that God's going to bring you back. If you're watching online, this is the day. You don't need me to be with you presently. You just talk to God where you are. Maybe you never had a relationship with God. Maybe you're, you never thought about going to church. But you happen upon this service. You happen to be here today for whatever reason. Well, the reason is there's no coincidences in God's kingdom. God orchestrates everything. There's a saying that says God rules and God overrules. That means you can plan something, but God will turn it around to be what he wants it to be. And if you've never accepted Christ, maybe that's what God's doing in your life. Getting your attention to, for the first time, come to Jesus and say, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner, and I know there's nothing good in me. I may be a good person to everybody else, but I'm not what you consider good. And what you consider good is perfection, and I can't be that. But the Bible says that Jesus came, he was perfect, and he paid what you should have paid. And the Bible says all we have to do is believe that, believe in your heart that Jesus got raised from the dead, and your, in your mind that God sent his son to die for you, then you're saved. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. So, Father, we do humble ourselves before you and we thank you. The book of John is all about how you love people. You love wicked people. You love wayward Christians. You love everybody. And all you want is the best for us. I pray that we would understand that, that we would listen to you, and that we would obey your calling, whatever that might be in our life. And we follow you with all of our heart and we are happy doing what you've asked us to do because we know 
that were pleasing you. Like a small child does things for his parents, wanting to see their approval, their happiness in what they drew or accomplished. We want to see your happiness and approval by what we do. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here today. Let us leave knowing we've first been in your presence and then our hearts have been touched by what you want to accomplish. Whether it's through the music or the sermon or whatever it was we did, we want you to be glorified, Father, and we want everyone here to leave feeling blessed by their Father. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday.